0: Hey before we get started at the Fly Racing RacerX podcast let's talk a little bit about race tech give your bike some love the nuclear blast yamaha team uses race tech for their mods chris blows as well get well soon the guys down at Race Tech can get your bike working very well. They can modify your suspension. They can modify your motor. At least get your bike serviced, man. Get your oil change in your suspension, new seals, new bushings. Get your scoot dialed in. It'll work a lot better. Trust me on that one. Pulp 21 is a code to save with those guys. Call down there, mention Pulp MX, and they will uh, give you a deal and give your bike some love, and it'll love you back. All right? On to the show.
1: A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on racerxonline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,700 podcasts delivered with over 17 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original. Moto podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis.
0: Welcome everybody to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Bullet Billy Lyles. Really interesting guy. Great career in America and over in Europe. And, uh, man, he was uh, really good, probably super underrated for the time. So looking forward to talking to Bullet Billy about everything that he's accomplished and what he's got going on now and all of that. First up, I want to thank the folks from Fly Racing, Justin Brayton, Bogle, Savachi, Osborne, uh, just to name a few where Fly Racing and uh, they love it, man. The 2021 and a half kinetic mesh is out now. It is simply the lightest, most vented gear you will get, especially as it's starting to heat up, heating up out there in summer the formula helmet it's got rion technology it's lightweight it's quiet it's very very safe so please check out the formula helmet they got the formula cc as well with a slightly different shell so they can dial you in that way they got the zone pro goggle that's been a big push for them in 2021 and brayton's wearing that as well the whole muck off team is actually so fly racing go to your favorite dealer or your favorite retailer and ask them for fly and they will dial you in also, I want to thank the folks at Renthal. More championships than all the other brands combined. The winning brand in manufacturing and design for the last half century, Renthal continues to lead the world the very top level of sport. And uh, if you think about it, thanks to the hard work and dedication of detail, the Renthal factory has been helping world-class riders achieve their championship goals since the beginning. In 1969, welcome to the winning world of Renthal. Chains, bars, grips, sprockets, they've got it all. Renthal.com for more information. I certainly don't have to tell you about the quality uh, that Renthal has and has had over the years when you look at the riders that have used rent and won championship using rent it's it's simply phenomenal so thanks to the folks at rent thank you to maxis tires as well maxis.com for more information on that they can get your utv their bicycle your light truck your trailer all dialed in or your dirt bike sgb kawasaki uh team with alex ray and the cat and jeremy smith all using mxsts developed by jeremy mcgrath on their dirt bike so it's probably been a while since you thought about maxis for your dirt bike but go back in and uh take a look at what they've got man they've got some really good stuff i've run a set of mxsts on the blue crew from time to time they work well so thank you to maxis.com thank you as well for Cobolinks it's been almost 25 years since Cobolinks lowered the first motorcycle they're based in boise they made the cr the dr 350 seat height a little shorter for trail riders around the world so if you're a shorter guy you ride motocross you ride off-road you want to control your bike better you want to have better ground clearance you want to be able to touch the ground cobalink is what you need from Aprilia to yamaha Used by Trail Riders, Motocross Racers, and Adventure Tours. Each uh, link is seen seed in Idaho, and uh, you can gain confidence by using one of these links. Cobalinks.com, 15% off any link and free U.S. shipping by using the code PULPMX. Cobalinks.com, built in Boise, ridden and raced everywhere. And finally, motorsport.com, whether you ride on the track, ride race on the track, ride on the trail, uh, have a UTV, have a street bike, Free shipping on orders over $79. bucks. they have got the OEM parts. They've got aftermarket parts. All the stuff, whether it's Renthal, Maxis, Links, You can go to motorsport.com and uh, and get it. There's a whole section for Pulp and Mech Show on there as well. They work with some of our guys that uh, are affiliated with us to give you people the deal, man. Great shipping, great customer service. Uh, if you shop somewhere else... Go to Try Motorsport. Let me know what you think. Hit me up if you have any issues, any problems, any concerns with motorsport.com. I will get them solved for you. So thanks to those guys for coming on board, and thanks to all of our sponsors, and thanks to you people for listening, man. Appreciate it. Billy Lyles, interesting guy. Uh, Looking forward to doing this. And really, when you think about it, uh, his 1992 motocross DN win is uh, pretty remarkable considering where he was at the time and whether anybody thought that he would get asked to represent Team USA one day. That's pretty cool, right? absolutely all right let's get into it with bully billy lyles thanks for listening everybody and now as promised on the fly racing racer x podcast a former factory kawasaki rider winner of a 250 national winner of six gps over in europe factory honda rider as well over there it's bullet billy lyles what's up man how are you
1: oh doing well just uh getting getting older
0: <laughs> yeah we all are aren't, aren't we that kind of sucks right
1: it it does youthful youthful in the mind and uh aged body
0: yeah yeah i hear you i hear you are you uh are you still following the races are you still watching them and all that
1: i watch a few here and there you know i'm a big fan of the daytona race and uh yeah i keep up with the results a little bit and i have a friend that's real involved with one of the you know uh east coast teams and stuff like that and we stay in touch quite a bit
0: Oh, cool. Awesome. So yeah, so you're still kind of involved in everything else. You live in Georgia?
1: Actually, I live in Asheville, North Carolina.
0: Ah, okay. All right. What do you do there?
1: I run a service department for an automotive tire and repair store.
0: Oh, awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, Does anybody know that you were once one of the best motocrossers in America? Does anybody, (laughs) did you ever get any of that?
1: Uh, a few of the guys I work with and you know, occasionally somebody'll come in and uh hear the name or yeah. something like that. I mean it's it's not often. Um, you know, this isn't a huge racing area. We're you know, about an hour and a half north of Greenville, South Carolina and stuff like that. But um, you know, it's kinda nice to be incognito a little bit you know yeah
0: for sure i uh, i was just down in greenville mountain biking i went up after the atlanta races and or went down after the atlanta races and up by Travelers rest i was mountain biking a little bit out there so that was fun
1: oh yeah and uh, of course you know hank maurie and them they had a racetrack for years yep down in uh camp coker south carolina and stuff and uh been there many a time did a lot of club racing when i come back uh from europe Oh
0: okay nice did you uh did you ride at all do you get on a bike when's the last time
1: you rode oh gosh last time i rode was probably 2009
0: <laughs> oh wow okay so yeah all right do you, how's your body after all those years of racing how how do you how do you hold up your knees and shoulders everything all right
1: um so far so good i mean uh, i've got no acl in either leg <laughs> right uh you know but i still get around real well i mean i lost the acl in my left leg in 84
0: oh yeah yeah so you were fine and after that.
1: you know cti braces and stuff like that you know when i was racing but you know i did a lot of water skiing snow skiing legs were you know strong enough they held up well um biggest thing now is when the weather changes from hot you know hot weather is good yep when it goes to cold i struggle for three or four weeks just sore joints once it gets cold and stays cold you know i adjust well but you know it's it's the hot days and the cold cold evenings that make it hard on an old guy
0: i bet right um all right, let's get into the time machine a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about your career. Uh, Motocross, the nation's winner as well. i want to talk to you all about that. Um, also, I saw years ago when I was, uh, I'm 46, 47 actually, so I'm, I'm younger than you. I want to say when I was like 10 years old, I saw a video of you and somebody else on an 80, on a Tony Stefano videotape at English Town. You guys were on Kessler. Kessler, you yeah. and Kessler going at it. What a race that was! Oh my oh, god! Yeah.
1: Well, he, uh, you know, he wouldn't do some of the jumps and stuff that I would do, and you know, I struggled in other places yeah. that, that he didn't. And
0: what was oh what year goodness. was that from? Do you remember?
1: Oh, uh, that would have been, I believe, like nineteen eighty four.
0: So you were a factory cowie guy who jumped on an eighty.
1: is that (laughs) is is that it is that how it works that was basically that was a kawasaki race of champions oh yeah and they would always it might have been 82 but we always went up i went up every year like 82 Mm -hmm. 3 4 5 86 and one of the my first year in europe i come up and went up in 87 so i spent quite a few years up there you know with kawasaki Tim green yeah and what a crew, Jay and all the boys up there. I mean, what a great event.
0: Yeah, absolutely, right? No, for sure. I mean, especially like, God, every factory guy would go there. You guys would go out in New York City, get hammered, show up and ride the next day. It was it was quite a cool <laughs> cool cool deal for all you guys.
1: Oh, I, I had a great time. I never was much of a drinker, but I sure I would go up and uh, right. Vinny's, the Italian restaurant. Oh, yeah? He was a writer, too, so um, we'd get a limo and go downtown and nice. eat some Italian and go to a Broadway show. Uh, great times. I yeah. mean, uh, those guys, they were great up there, put on a great event. Um, shoot, we had a great time every year up there.
0: So, really, when you think about your career, uh, and from, you know, again, from reading about it and, and, and all of this growing up with it, magazines, you were one of the first Team Green stars, right? one of the first kids to really be like hey we're going to take billy lyles from georgia and he's going to get a spot onto the factory team
1: you know and that was that was interesting uh, dave jordan who was the mm-hmm. original i guess team green manager was a north or district rep for kawasaki but he was a georgia guy okay and uh you know when team green came about myself and keith turpin both southern georgia boys yeah uh, you know, we were signed on and uh, it took off from there. I mean, Keith also had a great career, um, you know, and stuff. But we, I guess we started back in 1980. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, my dad owned a Yamaha shops.
0: So. Oh, is that how you got <laughs> into it? Okay, so that's, I was going to ask you how you got into it. Your dad owned a Yamaha dealer. So you were you were riding early on.
1: Yeah, I started riding, shoot, back in, I believe it was 1968 on the jt1 or yeah the 60cc mini enduro they come out with
0: so at what point were you like i think i can make a living at this or at what point was your dad like Ah, oh, billy you, you know you you're fast you know what you're doing do you remember kind of thinking like shit i think i can make money racing motorcycles
1: he was just always really supportive you know growing up i grew up gosh uh riding actual dirt track or short track hmm and, you know, we at a point, you know, when I was probably 11 through 16 years old, I mean, I would ride a short track race Friday night in North Carolina, Saturday night somewhere in North Carolina, and we would be motocrossing on Sundays.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, jeez, Wow. Yeah. Yep.
1: I mean, we were, you know, especially through the summer, Yep. Uh, doing quite a bit of it. And oddly enough... Um, In 1977, I rode the Amateur National Short Track Championships.
0: I had no idea.
1: (laughs) TT, and I was a national amateur 125 and 250 class champion in short track that year with the AMA. Wow. As an amateur, and oddly enough, um, Chris Carr... Is one of the guys I outrun for the 250 title that year. And Scotty Parker, I think, were there in the class.
0: Well, I was going to say maybe you made the wrong choice, but I don't think so. You had a pretty successful motocross career. So, you know, you know.
1: Well, I mean, being from the South, dirt track just kind of died out. Yep. And uh, in 79, I won several NMA championships at Ponca City. And again, signed on with Cowie in 80 and continued, you know, the motocross trail. Just, uh, but a lot of it was convenience, but I love, you know, both sides of it.
0: So, uh, did you ride the first ever Loretto's or were you pro by then? I don't, I think it was around that time.
1: I was pro that year. I was there, but uh, that was my first pro year. I did ride the uh, NMA championship the week before that was my last year there in 82. And then of course, Loretta's being the week later, yeah. I-, I hopped in one of the trucks and rode over with some of the team green crew and hung out all week at Loretta's, you know, more just hanging out, helping out and, right. uh, and all of that.
0: So in 82, are you on the full factory team? Like with Wardy, are you a full factory bike or are you a support guy at this point?
1: I was a full team green, you know, uh, associated with the pro team but i was still team green in 82 okay
0: um, All right.
1: went to anaheim for the first time uh you know first supercross yep. of the year and run second in my heat race behind donnie hanson and outrun bob Hanna.
0: <laughs> and you're like oh shit
1: <laughs> uh you know and again i mean super starts were never my best thing but right. i you know i didn't whole shot but i think i got off the line second and I could hold my own. Uh but that was quite an interesting night. Over the years, you know, Hannah and I became not best buddies, but good acquaintances. He spent a lot of time in the Atlanta area and uh, you know, he was real fond of Chick-fil-A.
0: Yeah, I, he knows the owners, right? He knows the, Oh, he knows
1: them knows them real well. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Someone told me that a long ago. Like he's buddies with the original Hewitt Truett or whatever family it was. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh I would get calls Wednesday, late Wednesday afternoon. Hey, are you coming to press day? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We'll go by the Chick-fil-A, which is right at the Atlanta, the home <laughs> ones at the Atlanta airport. <laughs> and I would go to the back door and knock on the Yeah, the I went door. to that one. That's the Dwarf House one. That's the
0: original Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. That.
1: yeah. And uh, they would cart me out, you know, I guess uh, four by four by four foot tall. Palette that was saran wrapped with a like a luggage handle on it and oh, yeah. i would check it as luggage <laughs> and you know i'd fly into seattle and go to press day and i mean i wouldn't get there i'd be there less than 10 minutes in my car and here comes hannah hey you got my chicken <laughs> <laughs> and you know Dude, was it gross or did it,
0: did it did it travel well
1: oh well you know it's cold in the, yeah. in the plains in the bottom i and, guess uh, yeah and uh shoot we eat chicken all weekend i mean i can remember uh you know when i won my first national in lake whitney texas i mean he was the first guy to come to the back of my truck and was he really yeah. Me. Wow. yeah yeah i mean you know we were like we weren't the best of friends but we had a good relationship right. with a lot of the same people where he hung out in atlanta and uh i had a real nice little practice track area down there and you know, he would when he was in Atlanta. He would go out nine or ten o'clock in the morning. I usually never went till about two in the afternoon. So you know, one would go, and the other one would leave, and I would go in. And you know, it's just kind of keeping to ourselves. You know,
0: right, right. Ah, uh, yeah, that's kind of neat. And he's so he's Yamaha at this point in '82. He's he's got that Yamaha. He's got the radiator on the handlebars.
1: Yep, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, so so you're you're fifteenth at Anaheim in '82, your supercross race you know right. like overall like at the night and so you're you look at your results like 13th 17th 7th at southwick in 82 like this is all pretty good stuff right you, are you stoked
1: i was tickled i mean yeah. um, at mount morris you know Benolkin had gotten hurt tommy yeah and i inherited the factory bike at uh mount morris and I had a great weekend that weekend. I mean, I led, I think, both of the motos till towards the end. But at the time, we were running a bike with one radiator like the original 125 water-cooled bike. Right. And about 20 minutes into the moto, it you know, it was cooking water and would barely run. Uh, The last two or three laps, you know, without season, we'd come in, they'd rip the motor out, put a new one in, we'd run the second moto. Uh, Then they got the bright idea of putting a extra reservoir around the steering head. Okay. And we were in, I guess, I think it was Denver at the National. Yep and you know the first moto everything went well but the second moto it started getting like dial of steering kind of like a ratchet style steering yeah yeah it it was melting all the grease out of of the head post and you know it it could get scary i mean i kind of caught what was going on and so then it was the last race or two. We were you know, had grease fittings in the steering post and just kept it filled full.
0: <laughs> God, you look back at some of those ideas and you're like, What were we thinking? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, like 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 the radiator on the handlebars for Yamaha, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Like what
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, uh Hey, uh, let's but, put a
0: bunch of water, let's let's put a tank of water right where you gotta turn the handlebars. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. I mean, that, it was it was interesting, but I mean yeah. that's the way they develop stuff. I mean, I mean, when I was with Team Green, I used to go out and spend a lot of time out testing, you know, production bikes, and, uh, which was really cool because we would get to ride like a lot of the Suzukis, the mm-hmm. Hondas, yep. and compare things. And, you know, when Cali came out with the Unitrack in 1980, it was one of the best handling motorcycles you could ride. It just wasn't very fast,
0: right? Right, (laughs) Um, Um,
1: you know. And with work, it'll all come.
0: What was the decision to never have you ride one twenty fives? What was the decision behind that? I mean, you never obviously one twenty five supercars wasn't around for you for any of you guys at that that end, but you never rode one twenty five nationals. Like, was it just like you? You're not that big of a guy, from what I remember. But what was that all about?
1: Um, I was always partial to horsepower. Okay. I mean, from my dirt tracking days, uh, at one time, I had a 350 twin, you know, yep. mile bike, half mile mile bike, and was always real good with throttle control, horsepower, mm-hmm. and, you know, to yep. me, the more horsepower I had that was usable, the more comfortable I w- was with the motorcycle, and, you know, 125s, you know, they they were a bit of work to ride, and I just adapted well to, you know, the bigger bikes.
0: Right, right, yeah, obviously, and we'll, we'll get into your 500 success uh, here later. Um, So, 83, are you on the full factory team?
1: Yeah, yeah. in 83 and 84, um, you know, I signed a two-year deal, yep. and uh, in 85, I was on the factory team, but um, I had gotten hurt at the Coliseum. Uh, the last race of the year, I messed the knee up pretty good, and everything through the winter went well. And when the season started, you know, I was having a lot of swelling and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Which uh, you know, the '85 season, I missed a few supercrosses because um, I had the the ligament cut out of my leg and um, a couple few things like that. So. You know, and that was a tough year too. I fell off testing at Carlsbad and had a big hernia explode. Oh jeez. From a crash coming down the downhill. Yeah. And uh of course, you know, that was a plane trip back to Atlanta overnight to the hospital yeah. and then uh you know, that was a week, like 8 days before the Atlanta National that year and you know i had a great you know of course i was back in atlanta at the national at six flags and i think i run third that day Uh had a good day but uh you know that was kind of a injury year for me that 85 and moving to the 500 class and then of course 86 lachine got bumped off the honda team yeah and you know
0: Hold on though. We're, we're, we got We got to cover other years here. We got to back up. We got to back up, Billy.
1: Okay. Uh, back up.
0: <laughs> back up. Uh, so 83 you're with Wardy, right? He's your teammate. Right. Uh, you get along with him? You, you like Actually, him? Like you really, guys, what, yeah.
1: I mean, again, we were good, good teammates, acquaintances. Uh, yeah. my first trip to California with the pro team, I think I stayed with Wardy two or three weeks, you know, at his mm-hmm. condo and stuff. And, uh, you know, got to know him well and had a great respect for for Jeff. I mean, he was a great guy. A little not standoffish. It was just his personality. He was yeah. kind of
0: yeah. He says that to this day. Yeah, he says that. To um,
1: day. You know, but he was super nice, a great teammate. Uh, you know, and of course, being uh, being around Goat Brecker.
0: Oh yeah, uh, Goat right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: big comedian. You yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, it was quite a. You know, through the years with the teammates there, I mean, we were one extreme or the other, you know. Right,
0: right. Um, 83, also, too, this is the era of full factory bikes, which has had to have been pretty cool in 83 and 84 uh, to ride those Cowies. They looked pretty good. Um, uh, winning winning um, the National in, uh, uh, where was it? Sorry. Lake, oh, Lake, Lake Whitney. Whitney, Texas. What was that like? What, what were your motor scores that day?
1: 1-1. One, one. Nice. Uh, good work. You know, I won my first moto at the Gainesville round that year. Um, You know, I think I had like a fourth in the first moto. Mm -hmm. And the second moto, I went down in the first turn, hung under a bike with the throttle stuck wide open. Didn't realize it, but I picked the bike up and took off uh, and come through the pack the whole time, the visor on the helmet's one way, um, <laughs> jerseys tattered, hanging off the other.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I caught Ricky on the next to the last lap. We come up onto the starting area, and I had a funky line up there, and I passed him. He passed me back before we got there on the last lap, and I went around him again and actually won the moto, which, you know, that was my first moto yeah. win. Yeah, yeah and uh geez you know i stumbled over to the uh podium and went through that and went from there to the emergency room to get my wrist and shoulder i had third degree burns oh,
0: geez. <laughs>
1: in both places you know they're scrubbing those out and, yeah uh, you know i mean those, those are good memories though you but know? yeah that's but, the kind uh, of
0: stuff where you're like you're like i can do this like i can uh, you know i'm good enough right
1: oh yeah i mean yeah. i I was always headstrong, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and was in good shape, you know, through the years. But I really never grasped the training side of it till I got to Europe and Mm. was a little older, a little more mature. And, you know, it was more than just getting out, you know, running a few miles a day or, you know, it got to be more of a science, your heart rate. Um, you know, output, uh, yeah. Eating you know what, what, I'm what, saying. You're, what
0: you're eating and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You,
1: a, you, it became a lot more, I guess, engineered.
0: What? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so how big of a step was that 83 work spike from what you were riding in 82? Were you blown away by it? Did it, did it take you to the next level? I mean, obviously the Hondas were, you know, so good, but, um,
1: yeah, that was an era that Honda, you know, they were hard to beat. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but, yeah, the works bike compared to the production bike, I don't know power-wise. I mean, I know we had more usable horsepower, but to me, the biggest difference was the suspension. Okay. Uh, um, You know, you could do things and get away with it on the works bike that you would never get away <laughs> with on a production bike.
0: Right, right. Yeah, for sure, right. And,
1: you know, that was my biggest, uh, you know... I guess asset to the works bike was the suspension and you know, being, being from the South, I used to drag the rear brake a lot. And in 1984, uh, I lost a moto or two from breaking the brake drum loose from the drum. itself. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, one of those was at Red Bud, which Ricky and I were having quite a battle and, uh, you know, I went from possibly winning another one there to drop into, like, third, because I had no rear brake for a lap and a half. Um, and then, of course, my mechanic at the time, Tom Morgan, um, they had sent some rear disc brake stuff over, and we adapted it to the frame and the bike. And I tested it, I think, four consecutive days, about three hours a day.
0: Okay,
1: We showed up with it at the race with it on the bike. <laughs> Uh, and that was, you know, to my knowledge, the first rear disc, rear disc on a motocross bike.
0: Wow. Okay, that's cool. I thought they had them already by then. To be honest, I didn't think they had drums in '84. I thought they were rear discs already. But
1: yeah, wow. in '84, ours was still a uh, drum. Drum. The first part of the did, year.
0: Did you have the red seat, or was that just Wardy?
1: Um, we all had them. Okay. You know, at, at certain times. Right. But you know, the county, the U.S. colors were blue and green.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where that came about. I mean, the official color for Cali was red and right. green. Right. And uh yeah, them orange peel looking seats weren't yeah. the prettiest things in the world.
0: You you wore O'Neill, uh how'd that work out for you? How'd you get O'Neal the other guy from Georgia? Uh I think the first year you wore uh what'd you wear in eighty three? It was uh, uh it
1: was... in eighty three I was O'Neal okay. uh eighty two it would have been Griffs
0: Griffs, yeah, that's right, that's right. I thought it was and gear. High
1: point. I thought you know, it was gear point. stuff.
0: Yeah, but so how'd you get O'Neill deal? How was how'd that work out?
1: Um, we uh, for the eighty-three, eighty-four season, had signed a deal, and uh, they approached me, of course, oh, okay. and uh, those were good seasons. And then uh, in eighty-five, I was. But the beginning was with O'Neill, but you know he didn't want to pay me because I'd missed a supercross or two, or this and that. Yep. And, you know, like I said, I missed a vent or two. And, you know, it was just somewhat of a personal disagreement. He didn't, you know, want to stand behind me. And, uh, you know, he didn't pay me. And I approached, you know, communicated with him. And after about a month of him not paying me, I switched.
0: (laughs) You went to gear, right? Did you go to gear? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I mean, again, it, more of a business thing um you know to to, you know honor your agreement it wasn't like i missed an event or two and you know he didn't want to pay me uh you know and again it well nothing went really beyond that but you know just one of those disagreements and uh we split our ways
0: (laughs) i remember you've been the ads in the o'neill ads bullet billy Lyles, and all that right so that's how that's how, that's that's why i asked that Uh, so one, one at Lake Whitney in 83, that's pretty cool. Outdoor national. That's, that's pretty sweet. You still got the trophy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. You got like helmets and jerseys from all the year, your years.
1: Um, I really didn't. I mean, I have a set of gear from the motocross designations.
0: Oh, awesome. The Johnson stuff. Was it Johnson? yeah Yeah, it was
1: axo and the johnson stuff i've got you know a jersey a set of pants from that um got the helmet actually it's at a friend of mine's house it was in the motorcycle shop in gastonia north carolina for Mm -hmm. years yep and it's in a case and all but you know i know where it is right (laughs) good good um you know and stuff like that uh in fact, we moved into a house about two years ago, and I boxed a lot of it up, and I'm still trying to uncover all of it.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, 84 was a really good year for you. You're number 12. Um, I It seemed like – so my hero growing up was Bomber, right? I just love Mark, Mark Barnett. I wrote Suzuki's and stuff. And it seemed like he would get the upper hand in Bomber you know, outdoor outdoors that year because he, he moved to 250s too. And it seemed like looking at the results, it was always you just won better than Bomber all year long. I was I was kinda of pissed, Billy. <laughs> I was pissed. But you know what I mean? You had a really good year. It was it was it was Sheen and Johnson and then basically you, Bomber, right after that. You know what I mean? Uh you got right. you, like you said that, that day at Red Bud, you did pretty well too. That was a good year for you, eighty four.
1: It was. And uh, you know, the the Coliseum that year, like I said, I got you know banged my knee up pretty mm-hmm. good and didn't realize how bad I had hurt it until you know I'd gone through the winter and you know even training and stuff, mm-hmm. it would be all right, but when I started riding and stuff, I had a lot of swelling, a lot of pain out of it, and uh you know that kind of set me back a little bit that year, and you know it just i mean I was able to get through it, but you know it was it was disappointing that I didn't address the situation earlier. Right. Um, you know, I mean that, that was my fault.
0: Right. Right. Well, I think uh, back then a lot of you guys, you know, the training and the doctors, and all that stuff wasn't where it is today. And no, you you, one, no one, I did one of these with Eddie Warren, you know, not that long ago. Remember Eddie? And, um,
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great guy down in Australia. He was like telling me about how he, uh, I forget what he broke—his thumb or something. He didn't even tell Roy Turner. He didn't tell Cowie. He he did didn't want to like cause a problem, you know. And and he's like, I could barely hold on. I forget what the injury was. And I'm like, that's crazy. He's like, I just didn't want to tell anybody, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know. So yeah, that's kind of neat. Uh, that's kind of how it was back then. So, um, did you mind going to 500s? Uh, obviously, 85. Uh, um, Wardy moves up, right? Uh, has a great right. year. Wardy wins 250 Supercross and Motocross. Wardy moves up. They put you to 500s, even though you had a good 84-250 Nationals. Did you mind? Did you ask to do that? How'd that go?
1: No, I mean, uh, I was tickled to move to the big bike class. Okay. Uh, you know, like I said, I I was fond of horsepower. Right, and right. That winter before that season, you know, we had spent quite a bit of time in Europe, or in Japan, I'm sorry, testing and the year that they signed Joe Bay to ride the Cowie and while we were over there, we were all over together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I jumped on the five hundred a couple of times over there and uh of course got to know Alec Wright in yep. Kawasaki and he said, You're gonna come ride for me one day because <laughs> I mean that on the five hundred I was actually the fastest guy there. Were
0: you really? Oh wow. Okay. Uh,
1: you yeah. know, and testing and stuff and he was, you know, impressed. It's kinda of funny that I did wind up riding for him, but it was in 93 on a 250. <laughs> right, yeah, way, way, way
0: later, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, Oh, interesting. So, yeah, like you said, uh, 85, not feeling very well, not 100%. Like, t- right. Yeah, tougher and, year.
1: And, you know, like I said, I mean, I had some good uh, national results in the 500 class. And, you know, in, in both 84 and 85, 84 on the 250, had I not had a mishap when Keith Bowen jumped on Hannah and broke his wrist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I was in the air when they collided and I about run over both of them <laughs> fell off. Had it not been for that incident, you know, I should have won Atlanta that year on the 250.
0: Oh really? Oh damn it. Yeah. I mean,
1: I was stuck on an uphill and dropped from, you know, yep. being out front to about eighth. And, and I got back to the podium that day, but, uh, you know, that was just a slight mishap. And, uh, you know, even that on the 85 on the 500, you know, I I always did real well in the heat and everything. And, you know, had I not been so hurt from the injury from testing, you know, I possibly, I mean, I finished, I think third that day, but, uh, you know, I mean, the only reason I did was because everybody was falling down from the heat. <laughs>
0: um, Six Flags was, I just saw, I saw—I never saw Six Flags on video, but Gary Bailey's uploaded some of it on his YouTube channel. Dude, oh, yeah. it was a super crossy track. It was very super crossy. I had no idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it was on the edge of the amusement right, park. Right, a section down by the river, uh, you know, sand section. I mean, it was kind of kind of a strange track but it was a great layout you know pretty hilly and, yeah yeah and things like that uh you know and again that was that was home
0: <laughs> right yeah yeah it had to feel pretty good the red clay and everything right exactly how you you, uh, you knew, you know um
1: and be being the home team you right know?
0: right absolutely um i still say i cannot believe that brock beat bailey in 85 and 500s you had a front seat to that probably a lot of that on a piece of shit why he 490 somehow he beat a factory honda 500 glover doesn't get enough credit for that billy
1: no he doesn't and to to be dead honest with you mm-hmm. that 500 was probably the worst the 490 was oh, the worst yeah bike in the class that year i mean for him to to have the heart and put yep. the effort out he put that year i mean it was Amazing. it was awesome, but uh, yeah, it wasn't half the motorcycle the Honda was.
0: Um, yeah, Bradshaw rode that same bike in ninety two five hundred nationals on that wr, and his favorite story is you may as well just to put a strut instead of a shock because the thing would fade so bad uh, by by <laughs> fifteen minute mark, you know, and then and then it would start off with fifty horsepower and end the moto with thirty four horsepower. He, he just yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah, well, that, then that every bit of that's true.
0: Right. So eighty five, uh, you're hurt, you're hurt, you're banged up, uh, doesn't go the way you want. Eighty six, production rule comes in, but you're not on the factory team, right? You said you kind of got your own no, deal going. No, in eighty
1: six, I mean they actually bought my contract out. You know they. Oh, so you had a deal. With
0: me, they wrote you. Yep, they wrote you a they check.
1: They paid me up front. Uh, offered me the bikes production bikes like everybody would have that year but Mm -hmm. with the works suspension okay and i got real involved with mitch payton that year at pro circuit and uh you know he did a lot of work for me that year motor wise and really helped me out through the season and you know supercross was mediocre that year Mm -hmm. but to be you know i guess kind of a almost like a basically privateer i mean they just handed me my stuff and said here yeah so (laughs) you know were you
0: you pissed at like turner for letting you go or like obviously like you said they got dogger right so they went two-man team they you've been a team green guy for a while they bought you out of a deal i guess if i'm you i guess the work suspension was the thing that kept you there right otherwise i would have given the middle finger and bought a honda
1: yeah, I mean, uh, well, and, and see, my dad being Southern, I was always brought up to be loyal. Yep. And I think that had some of it to do as well, because at the end of the 84 season, I was offered quite a deal with Suzuki. Okay. And I actually turned it down because they weren't going to make the 500s right anymore, and you know, I felt that was a big part of the season, and I personally liked the big bikes um, and stuff like that. That's what kept me at Cowie in 85, oh, 86. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, after the 85 season, like I said, I mean, I somewhat recovered at the end of the year and then got the news that, you know, with Hannah having the issue, or Lachine, you know, having the issues with Honda,
0: right?
1: Turner wanted him and you know they it was you know kind of it was given to me as you can either sit at home and get paid or you know i didn't want to sit at home a year
0: yeah yeah no one get do paid that, right. so
1: i negotiated my way out of the contract so they would buy me out and you know just got the equipment through them and uh you know, pretty much did the best I could that year, which, I mean, it wasn't a terrible year national wise. Um, You know, I think I was fifth or sixth in in the national classes and still had, you know, I think that year I would have been national number 14. Wasn't an awful year, even in Supercross. I mean, I wasn't running in the front five. But
0: yeah. That was the year, the two, two motos, right? Two mains.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and, but you know, it, it wasn't a terrible season and, uh you know i guess it was that that landed me an opportunity to get invited to europe Mm -hmm. for an international event and that's pretty much where that part of my journey started it's crazy though and
0: i've said this so many times on these podcasts before it's crazy that like you said for as as good as you did in 86 you're a privateer guy right you're you're you got factory suspension but you get 7th overall in 500 outdoors. You get 8th overall in 250s. And there's just nothing for you. There's just no way for you to make any money. You know what I mean? Everybody's set, kind of, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it basically, I mean, I could have funded my own bill and, and went out, you know, trying to prove, prove a point. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, uh, I was, I guess, well-blessed that year being invited to go to Europe and you know i showed up over there and they bring out this works bike was
0: it a supercross or a motocross Right. it was, was
1: it? no it was a outdoor you know in- invitational okay. event all right that you know had dave thorpe eric gabor's kurt nickel you know they were all there on and, their and factory hondas
0: this is uh, like the at the fall after the 86 season like in the fall yeah, yeah it's okay. in
1: like september okay and uh you know all those guys and they Wheel this Kawasaki out that mm-hmm. was uh you know it was somewhat of a works bike they had over there yep and I'm like no 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 I can't ride that um <laughs> so I made them go all the way back to the factory and bring me a bike in a crate
0: what, you you turned down the factory bike
1: <laughs> yeah I wasn't riding that thing they put me on a production bike I had my work suspension with yeah, yeah. me
0: and you so you kind of I guess felt familiar with it right
1: in a uh you know, a pro circuit pipe and put it on and went out there and run uh second place, you know, led one of the motos for quite a while and Thorpe won one moto and Deboer's yeah. won one moto and I think I had a second and a third that day. Um but, you know, I didn't get embarrassed. I mean, I was with them the whole time. Yeah, and now they're like, oh, uh-huh.
0: huh, this is interesting. <laughs> I mean, you know, Thorpe's a world champion. Gabor's, is, you know, all these guys. Yeah, they're badasses, right? So.
1: And the Italian importer, you know, they they had a lot of money. M. Robert, the clothing companies and yep. stuff like that. They invited me to their town to spend the week. And, of course, uh my mechanic that I had that year was killed in a car accident that week. Really? Uh, Bob Pearson. I was involved in the accident, um, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, It was kind of a a reckless week. But, you know, at that point, once everybody recovered and all, I signed a deal with the Italian importer to ride the 500 GPs, you know, out of an Italian-based team.
0: Oh, wow. So it wasn't even like a uh, real factory or anything like that. It was basically just a, a, yeah, a, a, you know, like a, a country, a, a little like a OEM in a one country effort type deal.
1: Right. Well, yeah. the, you know, he was the importer, I guess, for Italy. Right. And, uh, you know, we had the backing from the M Robert clothing and, uh, they had some bits and pieces, you know, but Kawasaki Italia was real involved and, uh, Basically, we embarked on a – basically a privateer in the world championships, you know, with good backing, of course. But, uh, you know, it I signed a two-year deal, one, because I knew it would take me a season yeah. to learn traveling, the different languages. I mean, you had to have – you know, four different kinds of cash in oh, your pocket yeah. that go across the
0: country. It's not like nowadays that travels hard back then. And, and there's, and and there's communist know, it, countries and stuff. It's just oh nuts. man,
1: you're talking about an interesting year. But you know, I had some good moments here and there, and uh, you know, I think I finished tenth in the world that year. But by the end of the year, I'd really adapted well, had my act together. I won the 500 national uh italian Italian championship championship. yeah yeah, yeah. i was third in the 125 national championship that year uh should have won it too but i had an exhaust valve break with two laps to go in the mud and the thing wouldn't rev up (laughs) jeez you know i'm interested Uh, you know just i I had some unfortunate things happen at unfortunate times that you know could have made a lot of difference in certain races and seasons even
0: were you uh, were you racing against another Italian on your same team when these incidents happened, Billy?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well I mean, uh, but you know it. Uh, you know just, what I mean? Um, just bad luck, you know.
0: Well, I was. I'm interested though. Like, so this is still an era. Like, you know, Lackey, Lackey went over there and chased it forever, right? Before he won it, and, and Danny went over when he was still a factory rider. And this is an era of sort of American motocross getting better and better. Were you though, like? You were, like I said, top 10 guy in America. Were you, like, pissed off that you had to go to Europe? Or was this cool for you, like an adventure for you? like, Or you were you like, God damn it, I, the only way I'm going to make a living is if I go to Europe? How, how, What was your mindset like?
1: My mindset at the time was, you know, it was kind of like a second chance that, you know, it, again, uh, it was something... I was comfortable traveling, going to the different countries. I mean, there was a lot to learn. But to me, it was an adventure in the sense of I was really fond of the racetracks, being out, open, natural. I mean, huge up, like Unadilla, huge uphills, huge downhills, uh, you know, um, super neat terrain, and, you know, and that was kind of one of my passions was I was, you know, I mean, I supercross was a thing. And yes, I did stupid things and jump jumps that people <laughs> didn't want to try to jump or do and, and all of that. But, uh, you know, in supercross, I guess I was on the rough edge of things sure. and outdoors, I really loved. Yep. And that yep. just kind of fit my, I guess my style, my, you know it suited me well right right and uh i knew under the right circumstances you know i could have a great chance and you know my second year there total privateer i won you know the san marino gp finished eighth in the world um you know had a lot of podiums and uh that really that started things around for me um you know and then Italy was just a long way to all the races. I mean, the only time Italy was convenient was the winter time because it was warmer. It's kind of like going to Florida for the winter, yeah. And training and stuff. But where uh,
0: were you based out of? What town? What city was it? uh, Near Venice. Oh, Venice. Okay, so you were northern.
1: I was about thirty minutes from Venice. uh, Maybe two hours from Milan.
0: Okay.
1: Kind of, you know, in the mountainous area there did
0: you ride that track um, by the airport was that still around then malpenza was it yeah Malp-
1: yeah it was it was around yeah. then uh that's the first thing you see when you come rolling out know. of the airport i know
0: right it's pretty cool <laughs> I, I went there years ago with a rider to, to break in the bike it was kind of neat to do that um hey. so uh 10th in the world your first year second year you win a gp are you starting to get some stuff from factory guys parts and stuff i mean you had your suspension but were they starting to f- kick you down some stuff
1: Not at all. I mean, uh, in 89, I mean, I had some good contacts in Belgium, the multi-air filter company. I'd gotten to know the Kawasaki importer in Belgium, uh, Mr. Vigoni, Pierre Vigoni, really well. And uh, we put together an effort where I moved from Italy to Belgium. And again, I didn't have any factory equipment or Mm -hmm. anything that year. But, uh, you know, I was able to put together a super deal with AXO, the Belgian importer, um, you know, and I had the good suspension and stuff like, well, I was working with Olin's.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: And we had a lot of good, good setup that year. And, you know, as a privateer, we really had a good year. We didn't win anything that year, but we were always in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact... I was riding on a Luxembourg license, and that year uh, I rode the Motocross yeah. Designations yeah. <laughs> with uh, Jackie Martins and Hans Mertens <laughs> for Luxembourg. For Luxembourg, and, I, I mean, remember I ran second to Stanton that day in uh, in Germany, in Geldorf.
0: Yeah, how cool um, was that, right? You were like, hey, everybody, remember me? Check this out.
1: Yeah. God, that was- well, and, and that was A lot of people don't realize that, but that year, I mean, trampas parker rode for italy yep um i rode for luxembourg and then we, of course we had three so we had five americans yeah in the motocross destinations, although i mean i think we finished fourth that year and the italians were third
0: yeah and, and the, um, the the rule was changed not long after that i think, <laughs> I think yeah, they were it was. like they were like you guys are nuts uh so trampas is an interesting guy an interesting story did you hang out with him much
1: Actually, he wound up on my doorstep in Italy and okay. no place to live, no yeah, place yeah. to go. And, uh, the first season of when I was in Italy, I mean, he found his way around, found a ride, uh, you know, started uh, doing some of the He was a mechanic for
0: it. a little bit too. He told me,
1: and he tried his hand at it. But, uh, <laughs> it wasn't very good, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and he had a wonderful career over there, but yeah, his first, yeah. uh nine months over there i mean he was in my uh, apartment i mean good company yeah, yeah we still talk a little bit i've seen him at one of diamond don's the big vintage oh yeah event. yeah uh you know run into him and his dad down there uh shoot you know and uh still trampas you know he's he's a backwoods he, louisiana boy you he, know?
0: his story i don't even know like I called him up. I did a podcast with him, and I don't even know how much is true of what he was telling me, but it was insane. Like, just give me that stock bike and then beat everybody. You know, they were, they were, they were. His bike wasn't running right because they were. They wanted maybe Puzar to win. I don't. All these stories, Billy. It's an amazing podcast. Trampas had me on the edge of the seat. I, it was awesome. So, uh, <laughs> I, I I was just like, I don't even know if this is true, Parker, but this is awesome. So, um. Uh, so, okay, so he shows up there, and so yeah, you kind of hang out with him. His 89 125 title just comes out of nowhere, like nowhere, right? Uh, so, yeah, really interesting time uh, to be over there for sure. And then, of course, Bobby Moore's there, Healy's coming over, Donnie Schmidt's coming over. Like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're there. It's just uh, a really neat time in, in American Moto. Um, Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Billy Lyles, uh, also presented by the folks at Renthal, Maxis. Kobolinks and Motorsport.com, of course all on board with us as well. So thanks to those companies uh for stepping up and helping us out and doing this podcast. So um so 87 you got the super skinny 500, right? the the, the 88 the big fat 500. You oh yeah. 89 the, those are those were good bikes though, right?
1: They were real good. I mean the you know they were all kind of from the the same base and everything you know just kind of kept making them better and better each year um you know and in 89 i went to a race in belgium Mm -hmm. it was a super motard race like they had at carlsbad right and uh of course johnson the cigarette company was there that was a big televised tv race Mm -hmm. and uh Shoot, I went out and led all the way to the, I guess next to last lap, coming onto the asphalt. I hit a guy falling. There was a bunch of gas on the pavement. Oh, jeez. Went down, still got up and got third place. Um, but that exposure got me the Johnson sponsorship, and of course the factory Kawasaki's, um, you know, came shortly after that. But in the nineteen ninety season. I rode on a full production-based KX500, and, of course, I won, I think, two of the first four GPs and had a pretty monstrous lead going into Italy when I crashed and broke my femur.
0: I thought you were on Hondas when you did that. I was going to ask you about that. No, that was 1990 on...
1: On a production cali,
0: <laughs> dude. Yeah, you were checking out. You were on fire. Did you did you change up your training? Did you feel better than ever before? Did you? Can you pinpoint on why you started out on fire like that?
1: Well, in 1989, that was part of the move to Belgium. I mean, okay. I had gotten my speed, gotten to know the travel, the areas and mm-hmm. Belgium. The Western part of Belgium was like living in the US. I mean, the GB grocery stores we have in the Southeast, they have them in Belgium. So you could get, you know, American, you could go and figure out what you were getting in the grocery store.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, you know, things like that. Plus, on the, you know, I was on the Dutch side of Belgium. They spoke English. You could go to the cinema. And it was in English. They dubbed it in their language.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: So just a whole lot more like home, a lot more, I guess, setting that I was accustomed to. And, uh, you know, again, I picked up a trainer that year that, you know, we kind of, to be honest, Jackie Martins, Yohan Bona, we all used the same trainer. And in the wintertime, we would go for two months, you know, two nights a week to the same gym we all trained together as a group and then as the season we'd kind of branch out you know kind of back to the individual but he had a lot to do with your training regiment your schedule and it wasn't long after moving to belgium that you either had to be extremely fit or just plain dumb and strong to ride (laughs) in the sand yeah I mean, it it was like going to Cocoa Beach in Florida. Right.
0: But when you look (laughs) at your results, you were good at Southwick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could ride it. But
1: it was murder (laughs) to go anywhere, you know, in Belgium and ride. And to me, that was what I needed. I mean, Lake Whitney was somewhat sand. I won the first national there. I won the Gainesville moto. You know, I always did real well in the sand. Uh, No matter where I went, but once I got on pace, you know, in the 1990 season, I mean, I almost never lost a Grand Prix in the sand in Europe. And that was with the Dutch, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Follikens. Yeah, everybody. Right. Yeah. uh, What 1990? I mean, I come from like 30th place and won the both motos there. Uh, The time we went back on the Honda in 92, I won there. I won in Hawkstone Park. Uh, you know, anywhere that was Sandy, I would shine. And a lot of it was not, I was just physically fit.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and I, I'd got my stride there and, you know, my conditioning and, uh, you know, it just, the sand and I were well suited for each other.
0: Right. Did you, um, so in 90, when you broke your leg is Thorpe on Cowie at this year? I think, is Thorpe on a Cowie? Uh, no, Thorpe
1: no. was on Cowie in 91. 91.
0: Okay. So they had that perimeter frame 500 for a while. I think Malin was on it. You, uh, Thorpe was on it. So, yeah, it was kind of a different different looking factory. Yeah, company.
1: I had in 91, I actually, because of the 1990 season, um, I had the factory bought the perimeter frame in 91 as well.
0: Okay. Did you like it? Because I heard it wasn't that good.
1: I hated that motorcycle. <laughs> um, I mean, I that was that. the yeah. that was the worst handling. Uh, you know, in the 250, and of course, you know, I'd ridden the 250, and it was a decent bike, right. but right. Yep. I think the frame, you know, in the beginning, that thing would flex and would go every direction, but whatever direction you wanted <laughs> it to go in.
0: Yeah, I heard it wasn't that good from Malin, and I think Thorpe told me the same thing once, so...
1: Yeah I mean you you know, you know how you wanted a bike to sit somewhat high in the rear, have good steering. Yep. Yeah. This was more you had to have it sit low in the rear. And you know, yep. we played a lot, you know, because I had an engineer that year for a mechanic, we played a lot with the offset, the triple clamp offset and yep. stuff. Right. And my bikes were even different from what Malin and Thorpe were riding with uh you know, I had a lot different steering triple clamp set you know, back two millimeters, which the Hondas, you had three or four choices. The Cowie, we never had that.
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah. um, my mechanic, you know, made a set and took yeah. it out and I rode it. And I, cra- I told him, I said, this thing's going to kill me. And finally, <laughs> I flipped the bike down the racetrack and he goes, okay, we're going to go the other way. I'm going to listen to you. Yeah. And when we did, we we got it pretty well figured out i mean we didn't have an awful season right but uh you know that bike was just one hard bike to ride
0: when you broke your leg uh how'd you do it what happened
1: uh we were in italy of course and the mechanic again decided that he was you know it was warm weather he was afraid we were going to seize the engine and he had put a you know, a little bit bigger main jet in it. And it had a blubber unless you had it wide open. And, you know, we were fighting. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, kind of slowly getting them to adjust it back. And I had it bog on me right before a big downhill jump. And it flipped over upside down. And, of course, I went tumbling down the racetrack. Yeah. And when I stopped tumbling, I went to get up. And I realized my femur was broken.
0: Oh, did it? how bad did it hurt?
1: And didn't hurt at all. Oh, really? Oh, wow. You know, I guess from the bruise and the stun of hitting the ground. But, uh, you know, I spent, gosh, what, that night in the hospital Mm because that was Saturday. Sunday, you know, was the race. Uh, You know, and back over there we had, you know, the medical team. They were all based out of Italy, but the best doctors, you know, the FIM, they were all with the Italian hospital. So they sent an ambulance Monday. And took me to the university hospital. I had to stay like three days to let the swelling go down. They operated on a Thursday the following week. And when I woke up, the doctor came in he said, get up. Uh, and I looked at him like, w- who are you talking to? <laughs> and he said, you. And I got up and started walking up and down the hallway. Wow. I mean, they put a rod in my leg. Yeah, but, yeah. And he goes, you just cannot twist on it. Yep um that thursday i of course flew back to belgium and uh you know proceeded to take the rest of the year off you right. know i mean i missed the last what five grand prix but i still finished you know i think sixth in the world
0: do you do you think you would have won the title do you feel i mean obviously who knows but what?
1: i think it would have been between me and eric that year
0: right, right.
1: um you know, I mean, he, he was coming on strong. I mean, I had dominated the first four or so races of the year. I mean, I didn't win them all, but right, I was right. always in the front. And, you know, towards the end of the year, there were a few tracks that suited me really well, and there were one or two that suited him really well. And I really think it would have been a dogfight all the way down to the end. Um,
0: he uh, he won Glen Helen that year. He came to California and won the, the round of Glen Helen. People don't really talk yeah. about that. That's a pretty good ride
1: you know yeah he was a great writer but you know he he could have his moments too i mean he had great days mm-hmm. but he could have his off days too and uh you know in the part of belgium i mean uh donnie schmidt bobby moore yep. and myself we all we used to meet every wednesday night at an italian restaurant in gabor's town
0: oh okay wow <laughs> and, and, right and we in his right in his town at,
1: yeah. It was the American Reunion, you know, because yeah, they yeah. were all based out of that area, you yeah. know, right where he lived. And I was only 20 minutes away. Oh, yeah. And that was our way of getting together and, you know, mm-hmm. spending time with, you know, people from the States.
0: Yeah, that would have been awesome, right? And But uh, in, in his town, he's a hero, right? He's just a king because motocross in Belgium is everything. And you guys are, are just setting up shop. I like it. I like it.
1: Uh, well, I mean, you know, and... and Um, you know, in all interesting, I mean Joe Bay was from there and and again, you know, he lived on the French speaking side of Belgium and uh Eric lived in Gill, which was the German or Flemish speaking side, and I mean that was like two countries in itself really, but uh you know, we we all kinda resided in the area and it kinda kept us, you know. It was, I guess, a, a feeling of home to go out and eat and sit and yep. all, you know, being from the same area and everything, or, well, from the same country. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh real <laughs> shame. The same area. We
0: lost Eric a couple of years ago. We lost George a couple years before that, even. Bummer. Bummer deal, for sure. Those guys are legends, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, um, I was, you know, to hear Eric drowned. I mean, he couldn't swim. He jumped in to try to save his puppy.
0: Right, right. Jeez. I
1: mean, uh, you know, and he he just couldn't swim. Yeah, uh, crazy. Yeah, you know, yep. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, all the years I uh, was over there. I mean, I had an an a, my Italian mechanic when I was in Italy, but mm-hmm. you know, I had a Finnish mechanic for years, Ari Skog, who you know he wound up working for Gabor's and Bay you know and yep. stuff like that as well but he and i you know were really good friends and uh you know he was a big part of my 94 season with joe bay's team
0: <laughs> yeah yeah how funny is that yeah
1: right? you know because i i had started that year out gonna ride for vertamati which was oh, like that's a, right yeah uh and i just the bike was great it was fast but I couldn't keep one together more than about 20 minutes. I mean, I was exploding (laughs) it left and right. And Uh, um, I was like, you know what, boys, we're, we need to part ways. Uh, And, you know, I I actually just went and got a production Honda and started the first round or two on a production Honda and was doing so well on it. Eric, uh, I mean, George
0: George
1: was in, in lieu of losing his big, at&t sponsorship. He needed somebody to come in, so he brought me into the team. And of course, you know, I won a Grand Prix that year and finished fourth, I think, that year in the world. Um after a mediocre start. But uh, you know, again, I was kind of back into the area with a mechanic that I knew really well. We were really good friends. And, you know, they believed in me as much as I believed in them and myself, you know.
0: Did, did, uh, so you're an American, you're over there, you know, going over there in 87 and stuff. How, how does Gabor's and, and Thorpe and Joe Bay, I mean, these guys are legends, right? How do they treat you? How do you become close, close friends with all of them? Are they, are they cool or, you know what I mean? What's the relationship like?
1: Uh, I mean, as, as far as, you know, distant but friendly. Yep. I mean, you know, uh, I I had my run-ins, I guess, with Joe Bay in 92,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, Eric and I got along well for the most part. You know, we were competitors, so we didn't share a lot of information. But we got along well, you know, when we were out at, you know, promotional events or different Mm -hmm. things. Yep. Probably the guy that I got along the best with was Kurt Nickel.
0: okay, yeah.
1: We both lived in the town in Belgium. Al Turnhout. you know, he had an apartment in town, and I lived, you know, I rented a house on the outskirts of town. But uh, we used to play squash twice a week, which is their form, I guess, of racquetball. Yeah. Um, but you know, we would usually at least one day a week, if not two, would spend an hour or two playing squash together and oh cool yeah in yeah. belgium and stuff so and kurt and i got to be really good friends um you know and again i knew david well but you know just wasn't as close to him and and eric was always a hoot to be around um but at the races i can remember in the 1990 when we were in volokensward you know he's trying to play his sight game and all this while we're standing in the park for me before you go to the yeah, gate. Yeah. And I whistle at him, get him to turn around, and I'm winking and blowing him kisses. <laughs> and, and, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. He yeah. turns around and just – he won't look at me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And, and, I mean, you know, I always played games with him like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's just, funny. You know, here, you want to mess with me, I'm going to come right. out on top on this one, you know.
0: So, in 92, um, when – who – is, is it Roy Jansen? who calls you and is like, "Hey Billy, like we need some American riders for the MXDN." Like, like how does that happen? Where, where are you? When does it? When do you realize? Like, oh wait, like the top guys are refusing to go to Australia. How does that work?
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we had heard a lot about, you know, well they're going to go and then they're not going. And I mean, this all happened quickly. And you know, of course, my house. I had a house phone. You know, still old fashioned in right. Belgium. Yeah. And my house phone rings and, hey, it's Roy Jansen. He said, hey, you know, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to go for the motocross designations. He said, would you be in? And I said, I'm interested. Yeah. I said, who am I going with? Uh-huh. And he told me Donnie Schmidt and Bobby Moore.
0: Okay. And,
1: and, of course, you know, we're going to be an all-European-based American yeah. team. And I said, 100% count me in. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, you've got my number. Just, you know, keep me posted. And he said, all right, what do I need to do? I said, you just need to tell me where I need to be, when I need to be there. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I'll take care of all that. And I said, we'll worry about that later. I said, you just tell me, you know, what day you need me in Australia. (laughs) You know, and of course, we'll leave the Monday after. Yeah. And I said, you just tell me when I need to be there. Right. And I said, uh, you know, details, if you work on, you know, the hotels and right. all that, let right. me know. And I said, I'll, I'll handle it. He said, well, how are you going to get your bikes there? I mean, I'd been over there long enough to know. You go get a, car a Yep. We had a, you know, a wooden box, you know, from traveling to like Venezuela and different places we went that, you know, we stuck a battery operated drill in it take a screwdriver and take three screws out right. take the drill out and take the crate apart. There's your bike. We had spare motor, <laughs> motorcycle, spare wheels, parts. Yeah. I mean, you know, we yeah. were, we had that part covered and at the last, you know, he told me Bobby and Donnie were going and then he calls me back. and He goes, uh, they're not going to go. <laughs> he said, are you still, I said, dude, I said in for a pound in for a penny. I yep. said, I'm your 500 guy. I said, I've ridden with these guys all year. I know their weaknesses. I know their strengths. I said, who are we going with? And he said, Emig and LaRocco. And I, he said, are you still in? And I said, sure. Yeah. I said, uh, you know, I mean, LaRocco was a great rider, had great seasons. Yeah. Emig was a great rider. But they were also guys that weren't uh, – I mean, they were, they were younger. Yeah,
0: they were younger guys. They were yeah. good yeah.
1: kids, sure. and, you know, and I knew that we would get along well. I mean, I know Mike LaRocco had the most talkative thing in the world. right? But, uh, you know, we would get along well um, and all of that. So, you know, we embarked on a mission, and we actually spent a little bit of time talking about, you know, who would be tough in MX class, which would have been Everts, and, Right. Uh, you know, who would be tough in the 250 class? And, again, it wasn't about winning every moto mm-hmm. of every race. It was about getting a good start and setting yourself up because it was going to play out different uh, no matter what. And I think we won by one of the biggest points margins we ever won by.
0: Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember that. I remember, you
1: know, because back, I, the it, worst it, the worst moto finish we had was the second. I mean, I went 2-2. Two, two. Larocco went 2-1, I think, and Emig went 1-2 or something. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, I think we had like seven or nine points total, you know, out of the five of the six motos, and our closest competitor was like 14.
0: J&B won the 500s, I think, beat you? JMB?
1: Uh, yeah, I yeah. do believe JMB won the five hundred that year. Uh, that, but again, that you track know, looked the gnarly. First,
0: that track looked gnarly. God,
1: oh, it uh, it was beautiful. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it suited me well. Yeah. Again, it was mostly sand. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, for
0: sure. You were right in your heaven. You were like Valkenswarter Lomel. It was back back. And
1: through. you know, and Larocco, bless his heart, uh, the first moto. I mean, you know how you had to pick your gates. Well, mm-hmm. because I was on a five hundred. I gave them, we had like third or fourth gate pick, which was by far 20 yards shorter to the first corner. Okay. I let them start on the inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I started out in left field, and I don't think I come through the first turn worse than eighth place, either either one of my motos.
0: Pulled good starts.
1: I mean, I was just amped up, knew that I had to do it, got it done. And then from then on, it was about, you know, controlling, you know, not doing something stupid. Uh, you know, and poor Larocco. When I went through the first corner, I mean, he was run over. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he went down, and I mean, everybody clobbered him. And I was like, "Oh boy, this is gonna be tough." Yeah. And you know, I was battling for the win in that moto, and then you know, when everybody got recovered, you know, they put out on the board second is okay. Yep. So you know, I like I said, I was fighting with with Joe Bay and stuff, and. Finally, I think I run him off into the fence because I mean they were they were at the point they were going to try to start taking us out to make sure that they won, you know.
0: Well they're and, they're uh, probably pissed from the I year before. I punched
1: him in one of the corners because he was looking over his shoulder blocking. Oh,
0: was he really? Yeah, yeah, I got
1: I got rid of him. <laughs> of course, he wasn't too happy about that either. But
0: well, they were probably mad about Stanton putting uh, gherkins into the fence the year before, right? So,
1: oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, uh, you're talking about good fun. But I mean, you know, that's, that was a race for country, yep. pride, uh, you know, y so, the USA, you know, that's what yeah. we were there about. And uh, like I said, I mean, we, we all rode well. Yep. You know, we had a great weekend. And, you know, it, yeah. it just, we jailed that weekend. And, you know, under, I guess, not difficult circumstances. I mean, we all went there to prove a point,
0: the B team. It was the B team, right? That was how it was. That works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. B for Billy, right? <laughs> there we <go.
0: laughs> Um, yeah, it was, uh, so safe to say that's your, that's your biggest racing moment in your career.
1: Um, I would say one of my more cherished moments, yeah. uh, absolutely. To, to have represented, you know, my country, uh, you know, on that field, you know, and to have come away a winner was a great accomplishment. I mean, yeah, I have that trophy, <laughs> you know, the, the, I got a boomerang, a trophy, uh, <laughs> a boomerang. you know, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, and that's yeah. one of the things that's hanging out in the office. And yeah. A lot of pictures from that year and stuff, you know. Uh. That's awesome. I, and,
0: I, I went as a mechanic in 03 for Ferry. I worked for, I was a mechanic for a long time. And uh, w- USA lost. We lost. We got second. And uh, I was still stoked to have gone and worked for Team USA. I mean, that's an all-time goal, you know, as a mechanic and stuff. But Right. But uh, getting second sucked. I don't got any good memories. Everyone was miserable. Everyone was, was pissed off after the race. So, you know, what are you going to do?
1: Well, and I mean, I think everybody expected us to lose. I,
0: I would think so. I remember thinking that it was not – everyone was like, oh, okay, I guess they're going to mail it in or whatever, but, you
1: know? I, I mean, but my key to – you know, I mean, I had raced my guys all year, and I knew I was capable. You know, I won a lot, a few, quite a few GPs that year and quite a few podiums, and again, till towards the end of the season, I mean, I had a chance at winning the world championship uh, up until about the last two rounds. I mean, I think I was just barely a moto out, but, uh, you know, I knew what I was up against, and I knew I could cover my ground, you know, provided, and again, it wasn't, we didn't have to go 1-1, Every yeah. moto,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, we, we had kind of figured if we could consistently be in the top two in each one of our motos in our class, we should be all right. Because nobody had as strong of a team. I, you know, I mean, they were they were strong teams, but they didn't have the depth that we had, right? You know, and uh, you know, it was all about just kind of us. Staying together, I mean, not that we sat down and talked a lot or spent a lot of time with each other, but we did discuss a little strategy here and there, and you know right hey who do you know who do you need to be looking out for and and all of that, and you know, even through practice qualifications, um you know their mechanics were eyeing the people that you know that we had mentioned, yeah, and just you know evaluating strengths. And weaknesses and different things. And I mean, it, I don't know, it just felt like the perfect, you know, meeting of the minds. Everybody seemed to fall right into sure. place and had their own little place in the mission that weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty cool deal for sure. Um, so when you talk to Stanton, Wardy, O'Mara, anybody over here, they always tell you that the Cowie five hundreds were better than the Honda five hundreds. Honda has certainly looked cooler. They were, you know, they were skinnier. They had the little boy pipe. You know, they worked pretty well, but the Cowie five hundreds were just good. Did you like the Cowie five hundreds or the Honda five hundreds better when you raced?
1: Uh my production bike that like I said, we had modified mm-hmm. the fork angle on in yep. nineteen ninety was the best kawasaki i had um but i personally liked the cr the rc 500 far better um we were using weighted cranks yeah um you know they had one that you know you could pull pieces of tungsten out or weight it different ways right and i run my crankshaft as heavy i put the biggest weights i could put in it (laughs) massive
0: flywheel on it and everything yeah
1: Yeah, well, it still had a small flywheel, but the the actual crank was drilled and had, like, five holes in it. Wow. You know, that you could center weights across from the connecting rod. Yeah. And you could use different weights, you know. And, again, I put the heaviest tungsten I could put in all of mine. And the bike would still rev, you know, gosh, just like any of the KX500s, but it had a almost a like a tank-style pulling. I mean, it was right. just you could, you could like to, a... You could
0: come in into a turn with throttle off, and the thing's just going to creep around the inside for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And
1: when you rolled it on, it didn't snap it out of your hands. Right. But it became a freight train. It just started digging and, and pulling through the corner. And the Honda had the little compression. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but yeah, if you look the, in a lot of yep. the pictures, there's a little lever sticking up yep. on the clutch side that if you ever fail, you could pull the clutch in, pull that finger, you know, put your finger on that lever and pull it down. You could kick it over like a 125. Yeah. Just boom, 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 and it'd start right up. I mean, and again, we had like, you know, three different offsets of forks that you could use. You know, I guess you had a standard, you had a minus one and a plus one. And, you know, most of the little guys like me and Gabor's, we would always back the steering up closer to us and Thorpey and those guys would push them out a little bit because of their height and, and stuff like that. But I mean that bike, if you were five foot six inches tall or six foot two, you could set it up where you would be comfortable on it.
0: Were you still getting a lot of stuff from Japan at this point too? Transmissions and, and your I mean you mentioned your crank. We, and everything. we
1: pretty much I mean that bike from nineteen ninety through I guess ninety three uh was pretty much all the same yep um but basically the year we had them you know we had new frames it wasn't like we were using year old two-year-old stuff right right i mean they brought over uh i think four new bikes that year um for you know the two of us and my two teammates weren't they were riding the production base stuff uh that year with some of the factory suspension and stuff but uh you know, I mean, I had an abundance of bikes, parts, and, and different things. So, I mean, it was as good as being, you know. Yeah. Uh,
0: would, would you have different frames? Different, uh, you know, frames from production? From they were a tracks? little
1: different than yeah. the production frame. Yep. Uh, we had different leverage ratios on the suspension, too. Right. Um, But, again, you know, I mean, you could make the bike with – like 13 inches of travel or down to about 11. Sure. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I run mine kind of in the middle. Uh, But, I mean, that was by far and above one of the best handling, best power delivering, one of the best bikes I'd ever ridden.
0: So, like, in 91, 92, probably the most financially successful for you as a moto racer, making the most money? Uh,
1: I would say... You know, I, I would say even uh, 87 through, I would say, 92 were my best years. I mean, they would have all been about the same. Okay. Because in the Italian situation, I mean, we had big backing from the, the clothing and the importer. Yep um you know and i like i said i made i actually made more than i would have made here in the states at, during those years
0: did you ever go to bercy or any of those off-season supercrosses i don't remember seeing you at any of those Did you? i do
1: never rode bercy i i did go and watch yeah yeah you know <laughs> but i did not go to bercy and ride um you know it just i don't know that was a small it's almost yeah, yeah. like an arena cross yeah oh yeah yeah <clears throat> and you know i'd ride i rode some and uh you know, in Manchester, in England, did a couple in Belgium, you know, and the one in Belgium was kind of small, uh, but, you know, none of the bigger ones like Bercy, you know, we did some in Geneva and uh, did a couple in Finland, you know, and and had good outings, you know, top three or so, but, you know, it wasn't something I did a lot of in the winter. You're also uh, getting
0: start money, right, for Italian races and for Supermotard races or whatever, right? You're getting start money. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 Are, we, and, are, we, are, you, are you pulling in 250 a year here? What are we talking? 200
1: Um, I would say I was probably, you know, in, through those years between 150 and 220 Yeah,
0: that's like, you know, Bradshaw's is getting 300 350 right, and he's the best in America. So you're making good right. money. You're making good money. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the biggest the biggest part of mine, you know, and again, I had good write-offs mm-hmm. because basically, I mean, I had to run my team out of mine. So I paid my mechanics. So, oh, okay. I, you know, yep, yep. if I brought in that kind of money, you know, I was down probably – you could take 40000 off of it sure. for expenses, travel, and everything. But, you know, it's still great money. And the, the coolest thing about it for me was – I was team owner, operator, boss, you know. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: yeah, everything.
1: And and that's one thing in the U.S. I didn't have, is I didn't have the luxury. If I didn't like a part on my bike or wasn't comfortable with it, it was almost like you were you had to use it mm-hmm. because until they developed something better. And right. yet what I had before we put that on was better, but I couldn't go back to it. Yeah, absolutely, right, yeah. And that that made, you know, and that was probably where Roy Turner and I disagreed most.
0: (laughs) Okay, on parts, yeah, things like that.
1: Well, I mean, you know, I liked what I liked, And, and it's like I told my mechanics all the time. You know, this may be faster for one lap, but I'm not comfortable. Yeah. I can go a half a second slower a lap, and I could go 30 laps on this setup Mm -hmm. and know what it's going to do every time i hit a bump hit a rock hit a corner yeah to me that's security i i mean and you know as you get tired through a moto that counts for something you're not second guessing for
0: sure yeah
1: what it's gonna do you know i know what i can look and see what i'm coming up on i know what's gonna happen you just adjust and deal with it and, and, yeah, you might be a half a second slower at the 30-minute or 25-minute mark in a moto, but you're not going to go down. You're not going to pitch a moto away because yep. you made a mistake.
0: Yep. No, for sure. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, so I did one of these with bader Monet, and he was telling me for a long time he would go back and forth to America and back there. Were you back in Georgia for a couple of months, or were you full-time over there
1: i stayed i would go over usually you know about the 10th of january
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i wasn't coming home until probably you know the 20th of december
0: oh wow really so i mean yeah you were just you would come home for holidays and that was it
1: that that was you know i would be home two to three weeks christmas time yep yep and you know like i said i was going to adapt and be acclimated Mm -hmm. to my environment and because um no matter where i was or what i was doing i didn't go to run second you know
0: right did you speak flemish did you learn how to speak the languages
1: um i speak fluent italian okay very little french uh a little bit of flemish german yeah yeah. Um, okay you know the biggest thing is is you learn in every language how to count you know uh you know, three lights turn left. Right, three lights right. turn right. <laughs> you learn numbers and directions. A gauche, a droit. You know, that's mm-hmm. left and right in French. Uh, sinistra, destra. That's Italian. Yeah, you, you know. I mean, yeah, you yeah. learn links, Rex, German. You learn directions and numbers and what a stoplight. You know, right, semaforo right. or and food, right? You know, food. They're stupid words. But yep. and, you know, you could stop and ask somebody. And pick out how many li- count your lights and go left or right <laughs> to go somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh that's pretty funny that you that a Georgia guy, southern southern boy would just uh, adapt and learn and love it over there. You know what I mean? It's kind of kind of cool, cool story. Yeah.
1: Well, and I had you know when I lived in Belgium, um, there was a little pub over in you know the couple of streets over and i had one of the larger supporters clubs
0: oh did you really um, yeah they been... they
1: used to meet you know like the every two weeks at this pub they would go and have beer and shoot pool and i would go over about once mm, every month maybe okay. every two months go in you know buy a round of drinks for everybody shoot a couple of games of pool <laughs> but cool. i mean my supporters club so i was told rivaled stefan everts
0: oh wow that's good i there. Mean, yeah that's pretty good and
1: when when we come to i mean they would charter buses they come all the way to england on a tour bus oh, to shit. watch the british grand prix yeah yeah. you know they showed up in italy i had six of them show up at Glen helen
0: ah that's awesome <laughs> that's cool I,
1: I mean you know i mean they would follow me around yeah. and when i would be gone like when I would, you know, in the summer and all, if I was going to be gone like two weeks to Italy and stuff, they'd come over and cut my grass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd come home and go, you know, I expect my grass to be six, eight inches high. Yeah, It was cut, trimmed. Nice. You know, I mean, they, they just took cool. care of me.
0: Right. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty, su- that's pretty sweet for sure. Uh, Billy Lyles on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, again, presented by the folks at Renthal. You probably had Renthal bars over there. I'm sure you use Renthal's.
1: Um absolutely
0: before they were even uh over here, right? Um Renthal and <laughs> Coba Links, tires, and of course the folks at motorsport dot com as well. Um why'd uh why'd you pack it in? What just what made you come home?
1: Uh the nine the, the
0: Vertimati did it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that was I I guess I thought it would be a great decision because right. I thought it would be kind of cutting the edge. Um, you know, and when we struggled keeping them together, uh, you know, I switched to the Hondas, and at that point, I mean, I had a daughter that was getting ready to start school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, just getting to that point that, you know, I had to, I was getting old too.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wanna, yeah, no, exactly. Right. Uh,
1: you know, I, I felt maybe I had another season or two, but uh, you know, the right opportunity, I don't guess. Uh, came about, I mean, if there would have been an opportunity to ride like a a four-stroke, you know, be on the cutting edge of it, something that really interested me, you know, in the testing, the development, things like that, you know, might have kept me another season or two. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, just my daughter getting at the school age and things like that, um, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot left Uh, You know, maybe one, maybe two more decent years. And, uh, you know, I'd have been been out of it anyway. So, uh, and just, you know, I don't guess nothing prompted me that I would be as competitive as I needed to be to stay.
0: Yeah. Where were you when you heard that Donnie Schmidt had passed away? 96, you were back.
1: Oh, gosh, 96. Uh, I was, you know, living in North Carolina. Yep. Um, you know, kind of had my own importership from a couple of the products over there and mm-hmm. uh trying to build the company and and stuff, you know. And I mean, it gosh, we've lost so many. I mean, you talk about Gabor's, you talk about Joe Bay, uh, Marty Smith, yeah, Marty, yep. uh, Magoo. I mean, just uh, you know, and I'm just feel so fortunate and blessed to be you know i'm 58 years old i get up at you know six o'clock every morning i work 10 or 11 hours a day um you know i have a wonderful wife of 16 years nice yeah uh you know we have a nice home you know acre and a half of land live in the country uh you know i'm just so blessed and and you know just enjoy living out each and every day and so thankful to be here and yet you know kind of heartbroken on the other side to have you know so many missing
0: yeah no absolutely right no you're you're absolutely right it's it sucks it's just a reminder of we're getting older all of us and it just sucks Um, it does um actually our paths crossed a little bit billy uh i was going to tell you to tell you this at the front of the podcast but i forgot um so in 98 i was working for fmf honda and i was looking for a job And I don't remember how we got connected, but you were importing MXA stuff, I think, C-covers and graphics or something. You were doing something along that around 98, I think. Or maybe Technosale. Maybe Technosale, okay. So somehow someone told me to call you for a job, which I did, and we spoke briefly, and you got me hooked up with Thomas Knipe. speaking of a gentleman who's passed away, uh, Thomas Knipe in Germany. Right. And you got me a job with Thomas working over there for uh, his team because I always thought it would be cool to go to Europe and I wasn't having a lot of success trying to find a mechanics a decent mechanics job in America and right. uh so I headed over there it didn't work out Thomas and I butted heads a little bit I only stayed for I think 3 months uh, and then I got then I got a job working for Tim Ferry uh, in america so i left but yeah we you actually uh, got me that job it didn't work out like i said but thanks for being cool about that and hooking it up hooking it up
1: so uh, i'm glad i could do it sorry it didn't but yeah you know, there are some stubborn people over there too well
0: also too i found so i was getting paid 1200 Marks a month right, right. and I, I was like oh that's okay that's cool but come to find out like thomas was like okay well i need 500 for rent and then i was buying dinner that was every night was 30 DM almost every meal was 30 DM and soon I was like not making any money right and uh, right. And, and so I was not making any money and and Thomas wasn't very liberal with the uh, parts allowance for the riders right. and uh, so we I uh, didn't quite work out I wasn't I was really fortunate we did the German Supercross series uh we did some GP testing we drove to Austria we went to Germany and and, and I was working with a French mechanic and we had a Finnish rider and a French rider and I'll never forget it, because it was a super cool experience in my life. It didn't work out, but yeah, that's my, that's my Billy Lyles helped me get this job story. so kind of cool. Uh, all yeah, right, I'm, yeah, go ahead, Billy. I'm
1: glad you enjoyed it. I wish it'll work out for you.
0: <laughs> that's okay. Uh, what's your sketchiest travel sco- story for like the Iron Curtain, like Czechoslovakia or Poland or Russia, or like, do you have one of those stories?
1: oh gosh i mean i guess you know my my trip to hungary realizing how poor the country was yeah i mean i'm driving around in a rental car on my way out to you know the racetrack and you're passing uh you know stick houses just you know old stuff like from the 1800s um you know i guess my one of my i guess very grateful that i wasn't on the flight but uh i was coming from italy to america um when the planes hit the towers oh really yeah i had a flight from italy to england i'm sorry uh not the towers the plane that went down in Lockerbie, scotland
0: oh oh yeah 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 that was a missile too right i think i think that was a missile Yeah. yeah
1: um but i had i was leaving italy to fly to England and then England to New York, New York back Mm -hmm. to Atlanta. And I had, I was listed on the flight, you know, from England, but we were two hours late leaving the airport in Italy. So I missed my connection on the flight that went down over Lockerbie, Scotland. Wow. Wow. And when I landed in New York and was seeing the news about the plane, you know, going down, yeah, and all of this, I mean, the first thing I went sprinting was to the phone booth to call my mom and dad and tell yeah. them hey I, I didn't make that plane, wow, um, that was probably my most scariest, you know, which I really didn't know anything about yet. I was so fortunate to have been in Italy and then be way behind, which they usually are, yeah,
0: yeah, right, tell about right. getting
1: the plane off the ground to make the connection. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, that was probably a moment of real awakening to just realize, I mean, I had ticket on that flight.
0: Wow. Geez. I didn't, I never heard that story in motocross, uh, lore, you know, I think I would have heard that by now. That's it. That's yeah. Well, I yeah. mean,
1: a lot of people, I mean, really, you know, nobody would have known except for, you know, friends and family, because I mean, we were coming home and, uh, You know, just by the fortune of good luck, we were not, you know, the grace of God, we were not on that flight.
0: Wow. That's something else. Uh, Favorite track you have? I mean, good God, the tracks that you've ridden, is there a favorite one? Um, Unadilla. Really? Unadilla. All the world tracks you rode, but it's Unadilla. That's funny.
1: Uh, Well, and Unadilla is just totally complete natural, just badass, rough, hilly, tricky, um i love that place i mean i i won the last what the trans usa race in 82 there Yep. um i mean that was just one of my favorite yeah, yeah. favorite places
0: that's pretty cool I, I i thought you'd tell us some some track in switzerland or something someday um
1: <laughs> probably probably my i guess my second favorite track and it would be a cross between two of them and one of them is probably more because i won there would be the volokenswart the yeah. sand track in holland
0: yeah
1: um but i would i'd have to say you know hawkstone park was a picturesque kind of a place i mean it was just all natural had big hills sand pits yeah you know clay that's the one with joe um, bay
0: did that double that's hawkstone where he was doing a yeah. sand double or whatever,
1: yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a big ditch, and right? They were jumping where he was over top of, I think, the boars.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that was pretty cool. And which is the English track that had like, like, downhill, like through like wooden railroad ties. You were like going up or down railroad ties.
1: That was, would have been that would have been Hawkstone. I mean, was Hawkstone? part yeah. on the hillside yeah. was kind of in the woods, and then it kind of come out, you know, along the creek and the sand and and then back into the hills um and the track that you're probably thinking more of was belgium um the citadel
0: oh the namur yeah i know yeah this one was in england for sure probably hawkstone but what was namur like did you did you enjoy that
1: oh i i had a great time there i never had the best of luck racing there but i always thought it was a great racetrack Mm -hmm. i mean through the castle streets and right? the pebble brick roads, yeah and, yeah uh you know i mean i I didn't do awful there you know i'd always be third fourth fifth somewhere in there but uh you know it was just it was a kick in the tail to ride you know because one minute you're going down a, a paved street with bars sitting yeah. beside you uh, you know, running up by the castle. I mean, it was cool. Right. That's where Carla
0: Chris stopped for a beer that one year in 87 or 88, right?
1: <laughs> that, yeah, down on the street at the pub. Yeah. Yeah, that was him.
0: Right. That's awesome. Uh, man, what a life. What a career. Uh, really, really cool, man, to do this. Uh, I didn't realize how long you'd been over in Europe for. Obviously, I knew you'd went there, but when I was doing some research for this. I'm like, geez, he was there a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously, I remember the, the the great races in America too. But man, you got you got any regrets? You got anything? I mean, don't break your leg in in ninety, right? That's that's the regret. <laughs>
1: uh, well, and you know, racing's a cruel sport. I mean, that's I I can honestly say I went over. I gave it a hundred and ten percent. I did the absolute best with the circumstances I would dealt that I could do. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I guess what's that famous word? I lived my way, my life my way. Yeah. I mean, I guess I have to say I'm proud of that. I didn't, you know, succumb to cutting corners because I, you know, like I said, I'd go out on my own if I thought I had a better chance and. Mm-hmm. I at least played by my rules, you know, and, uh, right. Maybe they weren't always the best or, or, but, you know, I know that I gave it the best effort that I had, had things gone a little different one way or the other. I mean, I could have won a championship, but, uh, you know, they, they can't say I didn't win a lot of GPs. I didn't represent us well. And, uh, and myself and my teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. Right. No, for sure. Um, Well said, for sure. Well, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, I forget the gentleman's name who got me your number. That was your trainer at one point. Uh, Joey Ledoux. Thank you to Joey for making this happen. Uh, Really appreciate that. And, uh, man, it's been fun, Billy. Thanks for the walk down memory lane.
1: Hey, and stay in touch, man. I'm still around, like I said. And uh, if you're ever close to this part of town, give me a holler, and uh, maybe we can get together and – kick back a nice cold one yeah uh, that'd be awesome. not more than one but you know that, <laughs> I, that's, uh,
0: i'm gonna give this number to coombs though because coombs got me the wrong number for you so i'm gonna make sure he davy coombs has the right number for you so.
1: absolutely that's not a problem brother and tell davy i said hello
0: i will do that thanks billy
1: have a good evening thanks for listening to the fly racing steve mathis show
0: There's
1: this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil cylinders as a when I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike, you're not beating the Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much
0: better nowadays than they were in the days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The
1: beast from the east, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working-class hero, Doug Henry.